Our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 7, the first 16 verses. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 10. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1 through 16. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you, Lord, show us that you are Savior. You are the one whom salvation belongs to. You are the one who in this story, this history, this account of Noah and the ark are showing us that you are a righteous and holy God, but that you are also a gracious and merciful God. We pray, Lord, that we would know that salvation belongs to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. As far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Um, so back before my, my life in, in South Holland, I was a pastor in a small northwest Indiana town called Rensselaer, although they called it a city. And uh, I was also uh, a bus driver for the local public school corporation. And I drove a special needs bus. And because it's a special needs bus and some of the kids on there would have, could, have, could have medical emergencies or things like that, there was a bus aid on the bus. And we had so many conversations, good conversations. She was a wonderful lady. 
really involved in, in, uh, in theater in the local community. And we would, of course, talk about spiritual stuff. I was a pastor. You know, what, I, what am I going to talk about? Um, and so uh, she told me about her journey, her, her journey, what she'd gone through, how she had come to where she was. And an interesting story that she told me was about how she began to sort of lose faith. How she began to uh, come away from the, uh, the upbringing that she had in the church. And she said, I was a really young girl. And I was sitting down and I was reading my Bible. And I got to the story of Noah in the ark. And I was reading it, she said. And I was like, oh, I love this story. She said, I read so many books as a little girl about Noah and the ark. And you know what? They probably look something like this. A cute cartoon drawing, probably in every nursery of churches, you know. With, it's always the giraffes, you know. The giraffes are sticking their head out the top. And... Um, and I've read stories to my little girls like this, you know. No, in the ark, you know, the animals come two by two and they get in the ark. And, and so then she says, I'm really interested in this, so I'm going to go and I'm going to read the first-hand account from the Bible. And lo and behold, she finds, she discovers that much of the story about Noah and the ark is about drowning Thousands upon thousands, I don't know how many people were alive at this point, of human beings and living creatures and God coming and saying, I'm going to destroy the world and the earth and I'm going to kill all these people. I'm going to annihilate them. I'm going to eradicate them. And so here she is as a young girl who, who, who loves animals and who loves creatures and who loves other people and she is just appalled by this and shocked by this. And so what she did was she took her Bible to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, this story about the Noah and the ark is terrifying me. All these people are killed. All these living creatures were killed. And so her pastor said to her, Well, honey, don't you know that's just a story? It didn't really happen like that. You don't have to understand it as an actual real event. So one moment with her pastor and the rest of her life is on a trajectory of abandoning the faith. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm just all not for, you know, uh, Noah's Ark stories with little cute cartoon characters. But I do think it's important at some point that we begin to tell our kids the truth. God is a loving God. He is a merciful God. But He is also a God of righteousness and holiness and wrath. And the story of Noah and the Ark, without both of those realities can confuse young girls who go to read the story and all they remember is the cute pictures of Noah and his boat and they don't realize that what God is showing us is not only his grace, 
but also his wrath. Our theme this morning is salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, the first uh, point that we have this morning is get in. The second is the flood begins. And the third and final one is also the title of the sermon, The Lord Shut Him In. So let's look at the first five verses of our passage this morning. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, so on and so forth, about the clean animals and the different kinds of animals. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe the fa- from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. The first thing that we should note is that God comes to Noah and he says, Go into the ark, you and your whole family. And if we understand the way that God has worked down through the ages, even into the New Testament, we discover that the way that God works in the lives of individuals is typically familial. It's generational. Noah is the one that he found righteous in this generation. Not Noah's wife, not Noah's, not I'm, saying, I'm not saying that Noah's wife was unrighteous. Not Noah's sons. Noah is the one who is found righteous in this generation. Yet, because of Noah's being found righteous, Noah, you get in the ark, you and your whole family. And so, we see this play out up through the story until we get to Joseph and his brothers and Jacob, until we get to Abraham and, and the covenant that God makes with Abraham, I will be a God to you, to you and to your children after you. And we, and we see this covenantal kind of language that's expressed that this is the way that God works in the lives typically. Or as we would, good, we would say in good church order language, ordinarily. This is the way God works and operates. It's through families. It's through generations. And that phrase that the Lord says, because I found you righteous in this generation. We've discussed this many times, but the very first introduction that we have to Noah is that we are told that he's in a state of grace. And we understand that because of the fall and total depravity, that it would be very strange that there would be one man found in the entire world who is righteous, unlike all the others. What we have here is God's preservation, God's grace, God's keeping, God's holding. This is not Noah, who is, like I said last week, a lily among the thorns. And, and God looks down and he says, well, Noah's the only one that's actually following me and obeying me. So everyone else is going to die and Noah's going to be saved. This is God sovereignly keeping Noah from falling into the depravity that his nature would bring him to. This is God intervening in Noah's life to Point Noah towards himself so that we could see in the story, in the event, in the account of Noah, in the ark, in the flood, that God is a gracious God, that salvation belongs to the Lord, that also God 
It's a God of wrath and holiness and righteousness. You might think it's strange then that then God goes into a description of something he's already talked about before, how you need to bring two of every uh, kind of animal onto the ark. In verse 2, take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Clean and unclean, this distinction is made here in Genesis chapter 7. Many people believe that the idea of God's revealed will, His law is not something that we have until it's written down in the, in the time of Moses, in the time of Mount Sinai, when that description of the law is given in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and so on and so forth. Yet we see these hints in the early pages of Genesis that the patriarchs, these characters that Noah understands the distinction between clean and unclean animals, that following the flood he gets out and what does he do? He makes an altar and he gives a sacrifice just like Cain and Abel did at the beginning of the story of Genesis. And so there's a revelation going on here of what God requires of human beings. And here God is telling him, you need to bring clean animals and unclean animals. And this description here for, for Noah is more specifically about the animals that they are going to need as human beings for eating and for food. But God here is describing how he needs to bring all these animals on board for the preservation of life and for the purpose of sacrifice. And what it prefigures, this idea of being told there's a distinction between clean and unclean animals, is that God is concerned with holiness. God is concerned with righteousness. And what God is doing, prefiguring in this account of Noah and the ark and the flood is a cleansing of the world, a purifying of the world, an eradication of all that's corrupt and wrong in the world. Another way that God will prefigure this or look towards this in the future is when the theocracy of Israel is created and God will speak of how the land must be clean, that the, you have to purge the sin from your land, that if you don't keep these commandments and, and obedience to these realities, that you will be spat out of the land. You will be spewed away from the land. So in this sense, God is prefiguring the nation of Israel that's to come in the future. But there is a hint that this is not the final cleansing. That this is not the new heavens and the new earth. And that is that God tells him not to bring only clean animals, but also unclean animals. And whenever I hear that clean animals, unclean animals, what I often think about is that future event that Jesus talks about when he was here on earth and he was preaching these parables. And he talked about the end of the world. And that's what the flood is showing us. It's showing us what the end of the world looks like. And Jesus said, at the end of the world, the angels will go out. 
and they'll separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep will come in to the kingdom. And the goats will go to the slaughter. And finally, God says in verse 4, Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. God says, I will send rain. A sovereign and decisive act of judgment from God. I will send rain. A worldwide flood, destruction of all living creatures. And both the number 7 and 40 are highly symbolic numbers in the scriptures. 40 in particular represents a period of testing and trial. 40 years the people of Israel spent in the wilderness. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days. And Jesus himself is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And so what God is saying here is that this 40 days and 40 nights of the flood is a, is a time of testing. It's a time of trial and difficulty and tribulation. And God is going to wipe from the face of the earth every living creature he's ever made. In a very real sense, the only one who has the authority to say the words, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. Is God. God shows his righteousness and his wrath in this act of extermination. And finally, we're told in verse 5 that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Obedience is central to Noah's depiction as a man of righteousness. And this is also a repeated pattern. We saw this at the end of chapter 6. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. We see it again here, and we'll see it continually uh, repositioned that way. Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Continuing on to the second point, the flood begins. Verses 6 through 12. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the two-by-two two animals came to Noah and entered the ark shows us that this is a sovereign act of God orchestrating events and preserving his creation. They came to Noah. Noah, I can't imagine him being like a dog catcher, going around trying to uh, catch all these animals that needed to be put in the ark. These animals were brought by God, two-by-two, two, into the ark. And we're told then that the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were open. Now, this is the way the NIV translates this, but in the creation account, the same words are used for the waters above and the waters below. 
And what we have here is a reversal of creation, a decreation. And this is a clear picture of the wrath of God. It's something that will be utilized by prophets in the future. This decreation language, a reversal of the language used to create. God separated the waters above from the waters below. And now God is saying, I'm getting rid of that separation. And we can see in this flood almost like an instantaneous gush of water that is not just like a trickle rain that starts and then gets a little heavier and then, and then uh, comes a little bit heavier and then it's raining and it's been raining and raining for days and you're thinking, is it ever going to stop raining? And eventually you realize that it never stops raining and, it, and it's flooding. This is like, boom, it's coming down in a wave. In fact, have you ever thought to yourself, why is it that God tells Noah to put birds on the ark? Because birds fly. Can't they just... He doesn't tell them to put fish on the ark. No. But if you imagine that a, a humongous amount of water simply is supernaturally and miraculously dumped on the earth in an instantaneous moment, that it might be a good idea to get the birds on the ark. What we have described for us here is a reversal of creation. That what God had done before in the separation of the waters above and the waters below, he's saying, I'm letting that go. So this destruction can happen. So my wrath can be revealed. And the realization, the important concept of understanding that this happened suddenly, that this was something that occurred where there was instantaneously massive amounts of water and flooding and destruction, is because this is exactly how Christ describes the judgment to come. In Matthew 24 Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now that passage you can understand as prefiguring the judgment that happened in 70 AD, or you can see it as prefiguring the judgment that happened in 70 AD, and also the judgment that is to come when Jesus Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. And that's how I would take that passage. What Jesus is saying, though, remains the same. He said, the day before the flood came, everybody was acting like everything was normal. They went and got a haircut. They went through the drive-thru at Starbucks and got a cappuccino. They went to a, a wedding and they were getting married and being given in marriage. They were eating and drinking and celebrating. And they thought that everything was fine. And then, bam! It came.
This should be a somber reminder to us that although God is patient and long-suffering with sinful people, His tolerance is not without end. And He will not hold His wrath forever. And what was in the flood a baptism of salvation for Noah and his family was a final judgment for most of the rest of, nope, all the rest of humanity. This is what judgment looks like. And I don't know about you, but I've been seeing a lot of things happening in our country, in our nation, in our lives, whether it be the introduction of a pandemic that shuts all of our routines down and causes us to have to think and wonder, whether it be that, that our political system is imploding on itself and, and nobody can get along and there is no such thing as bipartisan realities anymore, whether it be that we see uh, people marching and breaking into the Congress building or whether we see that, that this person is condemning this person and this person turns around and condemns this person, whether it be that we see that People are getting kicked off of social media platforms like Twitter and whatever else it may be. All kinds of things are going on. But if you don't see in these things a picture of the coming judgment, then you're not thinking like Jesus who said, we shouldn't look at other people who've had hard things happen to them without thinking to ourselves, unless we repent, we likewise shall perish. This is a time for repentance. In a very real sense, what's happening in our country is what we deserve. And that's what judgment is getting what we deserve. But we cannot forget that God is a gracious God and we should pray for His mercy. Romans chapter 2, Paul had very similar words to those of his fellow Jews who thought to look upon other people and think they are in the clear. He said, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness? forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Maybe not be like those who were living in the days of Noah. May we be those who are aware, acknowledge that there is a coming judgment 
Maybe, may that be something that shapes our lives. And we don't know when it's going to be, but we know that it is going to be. So what do we do? We pray. We live lives of godliness and holiness. We reach out to our neighbors and we, we warn them of the coming judgment. We pray that they would receive Christ and his salvation. We, we ask that God would grant us the kind of life that reflects the knowledge and the understanding that the way the world is now is not how it's going to be forever. That we repent of our lackluster expression of Christian living and we say there is an end to this world as we know it that is on the horizon. It is before us. And we, we ask God for the grace to live as Christians who've been saved from the flood of God's wrath because it was poured out on Christ. But who also know that there is a judgment that's coming. One where all things will be made new. And it won't be by water. But by fire. And finally we read, the Lord shut them in. Verse 13, we're told of that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded them, as God had commanded Noah. And we read those words, then the Lord shut them in. The floods have come. Noah and his family enter into the ark. They have every kind of animal on board in order to ensure the continuation of the species and life on earth. And this is just as God had commanded him. And we read here that the Lord shut them in. If you read earlier in the, in the description that that the Lord gives about how Noah is to build the ark, he said, Noah, to him, you've got to build a, a door on the side. So Noah made the door, but we're told the Lord shut him in. What is significant about God shutting the door of the ark? Well, it provides a wonderful demonstration of the twin truths of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty when it comes to salvation. One that we see throughout Scripture. It's one that screams here in this story of Noah and the ark that salvation belongs to the Lord. After God shut the door, the time of judgment arrived. And only those who had gone through the doorway would be saved. No one else could enter. And Noah and his family had to obey God's command to build and then enter the ark for salvation, but it was God who had commanded the ark to be built as the means of Noah's family 
being saved in this time of judgment. It's God who kept that door shut. It's God who sealed that door so that the floodwaters would not come in. The ark pictures salvation in Jesus Christ, our ark of salvation. Jesus said in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And Noah and his family entered that door and they were saved. And so we know that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead. We know that there is a white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. And books are opened. We know that a flood came before and destroyed the entire world. And Noah walked out on a creation that was laid flat, but it's being renewed. We know that God is going to come again to judge this world, not by a flood, but by fire, purifying it, cleansing it. And we'll see a new heavens and a new earth. And the only way through that judgment, a judgment of fire, the only way through the judgment that is to come is once again through the door. Through Jesus Christ. It's once again in the ark. An ark that pictured the salvation of baptism for Noah and his family. Waters that were judgment for others, but to no one, to his family, they were a picture of cleansing, of purification, of God's claim upon them being his own. The story, even though it says, screams to us, salvation belongs to the Lord, the Lord shut him in. It also brings to our mind the question, are we ready for the judgment to come? As Christians, the second coming should not be something that fills us with fear and trepidation. We know that the one who comes again to judge the living and the dead is the very same one who has been judged in our place. Nonetheless, the second coming should be a spur toward our living in this life in a way that honors and glorifies God that seeks His coming kingdom and desires to pursue it in our lives and in the lives of those we love and the lives of those we meet and those we encounter. Now, after I had that conversation with the bus aide that I worked with, I wondered to myself often if she had been told more about the story of Noah's Ark than the cute little cartoon characters and the giraffes that always are poking their heads out the middle there. And the cute little bears and lions. And the elephants, which I think were too big for, they needed to be small baby elephants, right? 
Maybe if she was told by her pastor. Yeah, that really did happen. And you know what? Because of the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who rebelled against God, because of the sins that we commit personally, we deserve to be drowned in a flood of God's wrath. But there's more to the story. Did you know that God loves us so much that instead of destroying us all like he could have done, he sent his very own son into this world. And his son was rejected by his very own people. And his son went to the cross as a criminal, even though he committed no crimes and never committed any sin. And on that cross, instead of pouring out the flood upon creation, upon you who deserved it, he poured it out on his son. So that by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on that cross and then three days later was raised again, you could not receive the judgment that you deserve you could receive grace. You would not receive the death that you deserve, but you would receive life abundant and eternal. Maybe her life would have turned out a little different. Who knows? Maybe if she was told Salvation belongs to the Lord. She would have known. But the story of Noah and the ark is a picture of God's wrath. But it's also a picture of His grace. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for salvation, Jesus Christ. Lord, whatever may come, we know that you are God. You are sovereign and providential Father. You are orchestrating all events for our good and for your glory. We know that you have saved us from your judgment by giving us salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stand and sing with me. Celebrate.